What'd you do yesterday? I played golf. That's good. Are you a good golfer? Yeah. I mean, define good. Um, you can golf without ruining someone else's day or time or experience. Because if I went to golf oh, yeah. with you, at some point, it's either the people playing behind me or like I, I look behind me and they're like, you know, or <laughs> or whoever I'm playing with is like, why don't you just pick up on this hole? I hate that feeling. No, like, I'm a bogey golfer, mid 80s. Okay. All right. That's good. That's mm-hmm. all I want to be. Tapping bogey, you know? Yeah, yeah. Okay, are you ready, JD? Of course I'm you're, ready. You're born ready. Yes. You're always ready. Yeah. All right. Well, I mean, I feel more comfortable hosting than getting I'm, interviewed, but... You could do the intro you know? if you want. You want to introduce what's <laughs> happening here? Go yeah, for it. Yeah, no, you know I'm going to watch you. Okay, all right. Well, I got it. Take some notes. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I hope you like a good story because today we have one of the greatest storytellers that I've ever met in my entire life. He's been telling those stories to tens of millions of people for over 40 years, yet somehow he still looks only 35. (laughs) He's a successful actor turned talented TV host turned prolific producer who built a television empire behind such hits as The Biggest Loser, which ran for 18 seasons, Extreme Weight Loss, Beauty and the Geek, For Love or Money, Bar Rescue, Endurance, My Cat from Hell, Opportunity Knocks, too many more to list or we would run out of time here today. But today he is sharing his story with us in the zone, J.D. Roth. Is that what this is? That's what I got to share is. my story? That's what's oh, happening. Yeah, I, if I told you, you wouldn't have no showed idea. up. Exactly. Yeah, surprise. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for being here, man. I really appreciate it. Of course. You know, we got to know each other. Not that long ago, but I felt like immediately we vibed. There was 100%. like a lot of similarities in our interests and what we do. And, uh, and I, it just means a lot that you would uh, uh, kind of take me under your wing a little bit, as sort of a mentor, a friend, and be here today. Um, because I do see some aspects of myself in you, and I hope one day to be half as successful as you've been in your career. I got mad respect for you. You know, you're a hustler, and uh, you know what you want, and you go after it, and there's no grass growing beneath your feet. And... Uh, so, yeah, I felt that energy right away. Oh, well, thanks, man. I appreciate it. Now, you're a talented, prolific television host and producer. And if you were doing a show like this, you know, you'd probably ease into it a little bit, right? You can't <laughs> just, like, dive right in. Like, how, how would you set up a show like this? Well, um, how would you begin? I, I you think like... if I was going to set a show up like this, yeah. I would start with the simple stuff. Yeah. You know what I mean? Loosen the guy up a little bit. Oh. You know what I yeah. mean? And then you go in for the kill, right? Perfect. Well, that's exactly what we're going to do a here. <laughs> exactly. This is a segment called Starters, brought to us by our friends at Gold Belly. You grew up in Cherry Hill, New Jersey, I did. really close by Philadelphia, and one of your favorite places was Jim's Steaks from Philly. So made fresh from Philly since 1939. Here is Jim's Steaks. I know oh, you are plant-based God. now. Oh. This is the veggie version. Because you are plant based, but I can I can tempt you with this, and yeah, this is it. And your exact order too, you know, just with the uh, the steak, the fried uh, fried onions, no cheese. Oh, you got to switch me. You're gonna do it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're breaking this? Yeah. Wow, wow. It's Jim's. Okay, this is Jim's steaks. Did you really get this from Jim's? Yeah, this with the Amarosa rolls and everything. Yeah, this is it. Are you kidding me? And here to wash it down, a Virgil's root beer. Oh my! In a glass bottle. Are you kidding me? Come on. 
Let's go. Where's yours? <laughs> Cheers. I know what I'm doing. All right. Welcome, JD. I mean, this is more than loosening me up. I mean, come on. <laughs> You're breaking your plant-based diet for this. Okay. Mm. The only thing I would ever, and by the way, I hope my wife's not watching. Yeah. But the only way I would ever break anything plant-based is for gyms. Yeah. And I will say once a year, I go back to Philly. Yeah. And I do have a gyms. You do. I do. You sneak it in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, you let's, mind if I go ahead and... Che- let's do it. Cheers. Here we go. Jim Steaks, one of the best, if not the best, Philly oh cheesesteak in the world. Oh, my God. You know, once mm. a year, when I have this, I always hope that's going to make me sick. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? I'd be like, yeah, well, I can't eat meat anymore. Right, right. But every time I do it, my body is so happy. Yep. Mm. Well, here, and here's some accoutrement. I know you also like root beer barrel candies, Necco wafers. We got all your favorite stuff. How do you know that? You know, this is what we do here at In The Zone. Necco wafers were literally like, I would eat them on the bus rides to New York. I would go to New York Monday through Friday. Mm -hmm. And I would get a pack of Necco wafers. You know, there's a couple flavors in there that you just don't eat. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like the green ones. I'm not into the green ones. Yeah, yeah. The, but the black licorice ones, the pink ones, and the white ones, wow. those, those are the best ones. Your candy palette yeah. is like you're like an 85-year-old man. I might, here. I, might, <laughs> I might need to take a break and eat this whole sandwich. I, you can. You can go yeah. for it. Yeah, we can shut down. You know, That's all good. Enjoy. Mm. I didn't know you were going to eat it. That's why we got you the veggie one, too, because oh I know God. you're pretty strict with your diet. I am. But I am honored that you are breaking it. So it's thank gyms. you. It is. Thank you to Gold Belly for making this possible. Gold Belly is incredible. They're shipping food all across the country, making dreams come true like JD's here today. By the way, I love Gold Belly. I know. They're pretty solid, right? I use them. I send stuff to my dad. Yeah. And I also get um, Antigua uh, pizza Mm. shipped from uh, Atlanta. Yeah. Pizza is so... I don't know how they do it. I put it in the oven, and it literally feels like I'm there. Right. And this literally feels like I'm in South Philly. You're back. Why is Jim's the best? Why is it? Because there's so many cheesesteak options in Philly. Okay. Why do you go with Jim's? Simple. First of all, the grill's mm. been there for, I mean, since I was three or four years old. It's the same grill. Okay, Never nice. changed. The guy's sweating right in the meat. It's like fantastic. <laughs> I taste some of that sweat. Second of all, <laughs> yeah. it's the mountain of meat yeah, on right. the grill, and then it's the chopping. You have to, yeah. t- if you don't chop the for right sure. way, for sure, it's no go. <laughs> okay. You got to chop it. And then the onions mm-hmm. cook off to the side. And then that mm. stuff kind of drips into the meat like that. This is amazing. And then the Amarosa rolls sit underneath the grill. Yeah. So when they pull them out, they're already warm. <laughs> and then wham, they slam that thing on there. I love this because I've, I've listened to your TED Talk. And so you're, you've been on many podcasts talking about the benefits of eating clean. Oh uh, you have God. a book that you've written about this, about plant-based, but the way you were describing... Are you the, shaming me? Well, this is amazing. I'm glad that this is bringing this other side of you out where you're I mean, talking about <laughs> the mound of meat with the sweat dripping in it. That is great. I mean, there are very few places on Earth when you walk by and that smell is coming out. And even in winter, there could be a line around the block. Right. And you're out there shivering. Just so I go usually, when I was a kid anyway... I lived here. We would go from the airport. No matter what time you got in, you get yeah. in at midnight. You head to gyms. You go whatever it is. Amazing. All right, I'm just gonna take well, one more. Break. This is amazing. Yeah, go yeah, for it. Amazing. Enjoy, enjoy. I mean, a lot of uh, Philly celebrities uh, have their photo on the wall. I think your photo is on the wall. At my gyms. photo is on the wall. It's probably That's one of my biggest highlights. That's a big accomplishment of my career. Yeah. Is that when I go in there next to Dr. J, Andrew Tony. You know what I mean? Right. Like all the Philly icons. Kobe's legends. photos up there. Yeah. I don't. And then you go by and then there's mine. It's so out of place. <laughs> <laughs> no, it fits right in. I don't know you about can that. feel the pride. You can feel the passion mm. for it, for sure. That's great. Uh, it's a good way to start your day, too. We're taping this pretty early. I mean, I know you, you don't drink coffee, right? I have never tried coffee. I don't either. I have too much energy, naturally. Can you imagine if we were I, in coffee? Oh, man. This would be, if we were caffeinated? That'd be yeah, bad. yeah. Just Jim Steaks diet, yeah, strictly. Well, we can take this away from you if, you if you're good, but I don't want to take it away from you if no, you're no, still going. No, no, I'm going to let you take it away, and then when we're done... You can have more. I might finish it. Uh-huh. Thank I'm you. Good. I have to take one more bite, too. Oh, my God. That was so good. Yeah, why don't you host this portion while I chew this? Mm, takes me right back. Here, KT, can I hand this to you? Takes Andy. me right back. Okay, good. So now, yeah, that's exactly what we set out to do. Now you're like, you know, yeah, you br- it's an icebreaker. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Well mm. done. Thank you. That was good. But you're from Cherry Hill, New Jersey. True. 
as I perfect the skill of eating while talking. <laughs> but you lived in California since 1986. Yes. That's a long time that you've been out here. That is a long time. Mm -hmm. Even your nickname in high school was Wood because you were just had your eyes set on Hollywood from the yes, very beginning. I did. Did you always know? When did you first discover that you wanted to tell stories as an actor, a performer, a producer, just be in this world? I think I was telling stories from the time I was a little kid. I probably, yeah. my, my mom and dad used to joke that when I would open the refrigerator, if the light went on, I would do a five-minute story. <laughs> I would talk to anybody. I think um, I've, I'd never really identified that that's what it was. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, I want to be a storyteller, you know? I never really knew un until probably way later in life. Yeah. But looking back on it now, that's pretty much all I ever did. Right. Wow. Well, uh, you had some success very early on. Uh, I mean, even though you remember the first time you went to New York City with your family. Yeah, of course. I was um, 11 years old and I, um, I wanted to be in the business as a family. We had never even been to New York before. Yeah. Seemingly, it was like forever away. Nowadays, it's just a little car ride. Right. There. It's about an hour and 40 minute drive. <laughs> and um, I impersonated my dad's voice on the phone, got myself an audition. <laughs> for like a showcase in New York, a singing yeah. showcase. And my parents were like, hey, look, we're going to go as a family. You're not going to get it. Right. And that's going to be the end of this. Yeah. You know? And um, it didn't work out that way. So it was a giant line around the building. And everybody, well, they were all professional kids. So they had like their sheet music to sing their songs. Mm -hmm. And I brought a Billy Joel tape. And um, I sang uh, Billy Joel. I sang Honesty with Billy Joel for the audition. And I think they just thought it was funny. I was a, <laughs> a little eleven-year-old redheaded kid. Yeah. Um, and I got it. And uh, five wow. people got the the showcase. And uh, Sarah Jessica Parker was one. Ricky Lake was one. Martha Byrne, who's still my friend today, wow, uh, was one. She was on As the World Turns for I don't know, yeah, a hundred years and won many Emmy Awards uh, doing it. Wow. Um, so it was a really, yeah, it was an amazing experience. And then I started going to New York. I don't really consider myself a Philadelphian. Right. Even though that steak was amazing. <laughs> yeah. I consider myself a New Yorker. I mean, I was mm -hmm. in New York Monday through Friday. Wow. And I don't know my way around. I know how to get to South Street. You right. know what I mean? But right. I don't know my way around Cherry Hill. I, I, I left as soon as I could drive. I was in California. Yeah. So, but New York, you could blindfold me in New York. And I know my way around. So, so much of my childhood was spent in the city, mm -hmm. in between auditions or, you know, staying at friends' houses. Um, and uh, that's, I guess, in my brain anyway. Yeah. Sure, like, I have some history there. Right. But I really feel more like a New Yorker. It's incredible that you've been working professionally since you were 10 years old. Did you ever feel yeah. like you missed out on things because you were so driven, so committed, so focused on the goal? Or you would have it no other way? You know, the only thing I missed out on, I only missed out on one thing, and it was I made the high school basketball team. Mm. And after ma making the high school basketball team, I got Star Search, mm -hmm. which brought me to California. And back then, the way you would shoot Star Search, you would win, you'd have to wait a whole week to shoot the next episode. Oh, wow. So it wasn't like gang shooting like yeah, we do it now. Yeah. So I was here in California right. for weeks yeah. as I kept winning on the show. Wow. So I couldn't be on the high school basketball team. And I would say that that would be the only thing. Otherwise, I've had the most amazing experience, the most amazing ride. Yeah. I mean, I was taking the bus to New York. Commuters were helping me with my math homework. Bus drivers, I'm best friends with the bus drivers. <laughs> I mean, it was like, you know, it, it was such an interesting way to grow up around such interesting people. Yeah. And I think that's why I'm still in the business is I really like hearing people's stories. Mm -hmm. I'm, well, I'm still fascinated by it. I'm fascinated by yours. You've been doing such an excellent job of telling other people's stories, but I'm glad that we can get into some of yours <laughs> a little bit here. Now, uh, one question that I ask all of our guests is, what does it mean for you to get in the zone? And that can mean a lot of different things as an actor, as a television host, as a producer, but it's that kind of that flow state you hear athletes talk about where everything kind of slows down around them. They're hyper-focused. That, that moment is like, yeah, it's my happy place. Yeah. And the best part is, as you get older and more experienced, mm -hmm. you recognize when it's happening. Mm. So I liken it to, you know, that I'm sure you know the famous story of the Super Bowl and Joe Montana, and he's the two minute drill. It's the end of the Super Bowl that everyone's stressed out. He's got to score a touchdown or they don't win. And he gets in the huddle, and the guys are all freaked out, and they're looking for him for answers. 
And he looks up and he says, is that John Candy in the front right, row? Right, yeah. On two, break. Yeah. That's being in the zone. Mm -hmm. To me, that's knowing that those guys in that moment needed a second of levity. Mm -hmm. Just a moment to mm -hmm. say, hey, man, I got so much trust in you. Right. Is that John Candy? Like, it's not even about this anymore because right. we got this. Yeah. yeah. You know, and instead of saying, guys, we got this. Yeah. Right. Instead of being in their face, he chose a completely different method of right. delivering the same message. Yeah. And so for me, being in the zone is like in the middle of one of my shows when it's something's going down, people mm -hmm. are getting crazy, they're screaming or crying or whatever's going on. Mm -hmm. I feel like I see the stuff in slow motion. Mm. I feel like everything slows down in that moment and I feel like I know exactly what to do. Yeah. You know, it's never going to work out 100% sure. of the time, but that feeling of being in the zone work-wise when a format just comes to you in an instant and yeah. you're like, and next thing you know, it runs for 18 seasons or, you know, it travels the world in 170, 180 countries yeah. and you remember the moment that you thought of it. I still have the back of a Chinese menu that my partner, uh, business partner, Todd Nelson, created the show Endurance at lunch at a Chinese restaurant. Yeah. And I framed the menu because the whole wow. show created on the back, it went seven seasons, yeah. four Emmy nominations. Like you think about like those moments when that happens sure. and where that energy goes, you know, and what you can get out of it. And so, yeah, I, the zone, I wish I had it more on the basketball court. <laughs> um, but, yeah. but yeah, I know exactly what that feels How like. How do you get there? Does that just come with time, with experience, where now it feels like you're just flowing in and out of it when needed? Or are there tips or tricks you've learned along the way to help you get there and stay there? I, you probably asked athletes that question, right? Mm -hmm. And do they all have the same answer? Like, I don't know when it's, it's going to It's all happen. different. It's all different answers for everyone. Some, it comes from experience and just recognizing it. It's a, for most, the answer I hear is it's about preparation. It's about just being prepared. It's about doing all the work behind the scenes so that when it's time for that moment, they are like Joe Montana at ease. And just it's they don't have to worry. They're right. ready to succeed and let it come to them. Yeah, I mean, in the simplest terms for me, it's just reps. Yeah. I think everything in life is about reps. Mm -hmm. You know, people always say, well, I want to host. What should I do? I said, man, you should host a birthday party. Yeah. And they're like, what are you talking about? I'm like, anything that you can host. Mm -hmm. A dinner party, birthday party, your friend's bar mitzvah, whatever it is. Yeah. <clears throat> just do it. Because the more you do it, the more comfortable you get. Mm -hmm. And maybe there is something to, if you do something enough, you can be in the zone because you can let all the other stuff fade away. True. It's almost like, uh, for me, the the most important part of the zone is when I was hosting. Mm, right. Because hosting is very much like being a point guard. Yeah. You know, you have to see the whole floor. You have to understand how to make everybody look good. Mm -hmm. You have to know what people's insecurities are. You know, you're kind of produce uh, a point guard's like a producer, really. Yeah. It's like producing on the fly. Yeah. And so the, the most I have felt like in that zone was when I was hosting a show and things were just flowing right, and the moments were happening, and the mm -hmm. funny was there, yeah. and the kindness, and the sweetness, and all the things that you want, and then the game plays well, and the format works out. Sure. And like that, I'd say that's the best feeling. Yeah, because it's a little bit, it's a combination of preparation with improvisation, with listening, with reacting, with knowing what the producer or a producer may want, and just kind of in real time flowing yeah. that all together. And if you, if you think, oh, I'm in the zone. You're out. Right, 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 right. You know, it's like yeah. one of those things that once you're in it, you know, mm -hmm. but you can't ever go, oh, wow, this is going really well. Yeah. Because as soon as you do, you, you pop out. Yeah. Well, did you always know, I mean, we talked a little bit and we'll get into this later uh, in our conversation, how you're a great actor turned, mm. ah, well, you're <laughs> a successful actor turned television host, very successful. But did you know that you wanted to do more always than just that? You wanted to be the one behind the camera as well involved. You didn't want to just show up, read your lines and go home. You wanted to create, develop, produce, package, put it together. Yeah. I don't know if I like consciously knew that that was going to happen, yeah. but I did some work with Dick Clark. Yeah. Who's like, most incredible legend, legend. ever. Yeah. And I remember him saying, you can't be a meat puppet forever. Mm -hmm. And he said, you know, the real, the real money is in owning everything, mm -hmm. creating everything, you know, giving yourself the jobs. Like he was the best at that. Yeah. He was also the yeah. best at his job. Right. You know, which helps. Sure. <clears throat> but yeah, I think for me, it was when you're under contract as a host, you know, you do a get 200 episodes of a game show. It's 40 days work. Yeah. That's it. It's and you're dream. under contract. 
and you have 320 days off. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, well, I don't make furniture. Right. And I don't yeah, yeah. work on cars. And it was like, so I just started coming up with ideas. I don't think there was this grand master plan of how it was all going to work out. Sure. I think like you, mm-hmm. I was just hungry. Yeah. And I was like, there was nothing that was satisfying the appetite enough. I was like, well, what about this? And what if I could do that? And I bet you I could do that with this. Mm-hmm. And if I, well, if I did that, then I wouldn't have to go get jobs as a host. I just give myself the jobs as a host and maybe I could package the whole thing. It was just one of those things. Um, yeah. It just happened. I don't think I had any great, you know, master plan. Sure. Well, it's worked out and continues to work out. You have a production company now. It's very successful. Good Story Entertainment, where there's nothing more powerful than a good story. That's kind of your your mission statement, your tagline. What makes a good story? Well, first off, I, it's called Good Story because I've started every pitch for decades with the buyer with, I have a good story for you. Mm-hmm. And so when you say, what makes a good story? Only one word makes a good story, which is authenticity. Mm-hmm. The best stories I know that have ever been told have been truly authentic stories. Truth is always stranger than fiction. It's always more interesting mm-hmm. to me. Yeah. And so I think every good story starts with something authentic. And um, I'm fascinated. I'm the guy at the red light who looks over at you. You're driving next to me. And you think, oh, what's that asshole looking at? But <laughs> Like, I'm looking because I just want to know your story. Mm-hmm. Like, you know what I mean? Why are you wearing that? Why are those glasses? Why, why is your window down when it's freezing cold? Why are you... Like, all, mm-hmm. I, so many questions run through my head. I think it's just a curiosity. Yep. And um, my wife drives my wife crazy because <laughs> we'll go out and I'll start asking somebody questions. And next thing you know, they're either in tears or they're mm-hmm. telling me something they've never told anyone else before. Yeah. I don't know. I just like... I like hearing people's stories. I, I'm the exact same way, and it does annoy a lot of my friends and family, my wife, that I'm like interviewing our waiter right. or whoever right. exactly. I get. You know, exactly. everyone has a story to tell. <laughs> right. It just, you know, sometimes it's on the surface. Sometimes you have to dig a little bit deeper. Yeah, you know, I, I miss that. Remember, uh, there was a Sunday morning news show. Yeah, and the guy would take a map, mm-hmm. put the map behind him, and he would take an arrow, yeah. like a dart, and he would throw the dart over. I don't know if you remember. Was that, that. Charles Corral? Was it Charles Crow? It might be. He'd Sunday throw morning. the dart yeah. and it would hit the map. Yeah. And he'd go, okay, that's where I'm going. Yeah. And he'd go. And then in the airport, back when they had phone books, he'd open the phone book. He'd just shh, eyes closed, pick a name. And then he'd call the person from the airport, say, who, I'm a news guy. Yeah. And the stories were amazing. That is amazing. I They're love incredible. that. Incredible. And I'm sure they did, if I was producing it, I'd yeah. go down and pick five names. Right. 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 And the best story see what wins. The best is. But the stories were so layered and so interesting. And, so, uh, you know, and, and your name, how many times you work next to someone for how many years? You don't even know their last name. You don't know how many kids they mm-hmm. have. You, you know what I mean? Like, there's 7 billion people on the planet. Like, you should try to get to know some uh, of them. It is amazing. Unfortunately, that reporter was tragically murdered when he picked the wrong name that one time. <laughs> Bad trip. But yeah, yeah. But no, that isn't amazing. I'd like to see something like that again. I, I completely agree with that. Um, you've been incredibly successful, but I'm, I'm curious how you measure success. What is your definition of success? So, okay, I have a good story for you. <laughs> okay, pitch me. Here we go. See that? Yeah. See what I did there? Yeah. Um, I have a, a running group. We mm-hmm. run three, four days a week. We've been running together 15 years. Um, one of the guys is a very successful private equity guy. Mm -hmm. He's in YPO, which is a group of successful people all getting together to help other successful people, I guess. Um, he, and this is the definition of you're saying, well, how do you define success? Mm -hmm. Last week he's at a YPO dinner. There's a new guy in his early forties there. So he tells, asks the guy his story. Mm -hmm. Hey, what's your story? Oh, I started out in television production and now I own this big company and it's television production, really, what what show? He's like, oh, I started as a PA on a show called Bar Rescue. Now, my friend of 15 years, who I'm very close to, doesn't dive in right away and say, do you know JD? I, sure. I mean, my, he just says, oh, well, what's the show about? And the guy tells him, mm-hmm. he says, oh, who worked on the show? And the guy went on for five minutes about how this guy, JD, mm-hmm. asked me my name and you know, who I was and wanted yeah. to find out something about me. And the next day, immediately remembered my name. And I thought, I see, he told me the story running yesterday. And I was like, you know what? That, to me, is the definition of success. Mm-hmm. The fact that this guy then said to him, and I wanted to have a company one day where I knew everyone's name. Mm. And I made sure I made people feel a certain way. Yeah. 
and that he was sitting at this table with my friend having no idea that there's a connection between that guy and me. Yeah. You know, and so to me in the end, like all the accolades and the money and the whatever, the TV shows and all Mm -hmm. that, like that's like a byproduct. Mm -hmm. But in the end, the best part really is the fact that that a a moment that I had with that guy that many years ago stuck with the guy and then made him treat people a certain way because of it. It's about changing lives. It's about impacting people, whether uh, no matter how big or small that impact is, that to you is what success is about. I think. Yeah. I mean, my, uh, I remember when my kids were little and they would go around with their friends and you'd hear them in the other room. They're like, what does mm-hmm. your dad do? My dad's a doctor. What does your dad do? My dad's a lawyer. And one of the kids asked my kid, what does your dad do? And he's like, my dad helps people. And like he could have said TV producer. Yeah. He could have said host. He could, yeah. You know, but like, I feel like, okay, well, maybe like, you don't get it all right, mm-hmm. but maybe in that moment, it felt like I did get something right because that's what I try to do. Well, you've helped so many people. The Biggest Loser, which has run for 18 seasons, really inspired a movement uh, in this country. Um, what are you most proud of when it comes to that show in particular? Well, I think what I'm most proud of is change the conversation at the dinner table. So, like, you're uh, at your parents' house for Thanksgiving got a big table full of your relatives Mm -hmm. you know the first relative you always go to is aunt sally and you're like hey aunt sally like smoking kills you Mm -hmm. put the cigarettes down like cut it out already you know you go to uncle bob and you're like hey uncle bob like you know like maybe have one last drink Mm -hmm. right no one was ever embarrassed to talk about those things sure but nobody ever went to the aunt or uncle and said hey you need to move more and you need to eat better. Mm-hmm. Nobody did that yeah. because it was embarrassing. Yeah. It was the truly the elephant in the room of something you would never mention somebody's weight. Right. And I do think that The Biggest Loser helped change the conversation at that table. And um, for me, the embarrassment of the way people look at overweight people, I think, has been stripped away. And so in the beginning, I couldn't even get a restaurant in L.A. to uh, let us shoot in the restaurant. Wow. I wanted to show the contestants how to order off the menu, you yeah. know? You can ask for it with the sauce on the side. You, you know, mm-hmm. couldn't find a restaurant in LA that would allow it. Mm. So in the end, I had to pay a $5,000 rental fee. I had to agree in writing not to show the entrance of the restaurant. And they made us bring in two flats to put in the corner of the restaurant so it didn't look like their restaurant. Wow. And five, so that's embarrassment, right? Yeah, they didn't want right. to be associated with overweight people. Yeah. And five years later, we picked vegetables out of the Obama garden and ate at the White House table. Wow. So when you talk about it's not a moment, it's a movement, mm-hmm. that's like, that is one of those movements or one of those moments, you know, Absolutely. where you don't think it's going to change someone's opinion, attitude, um, preconception to how they see someone who's overweight. And then five years later, like you end up at the White House table because of that movement. Wow. So that, yeah, that one felt pretty good. And you've me. literally saved lives. I mean, many of the contestants who were on the show... It, it's even weird to call them contestants because that's not what it was. It was them changing their life. And, and really, uh, you've seen the before and after of the journeys that they've gone through and the lives that they're leading. I know you keep in touch with many of the people who've been on that show as well. Interestingly, but. the ones that keep in touch with me yeah. are the ones that keep the weight off. Mm. And so when you think about that, like the psychology behind that mm-hmm. is um, they're not hiding. Yeah. They're out there. They're planting the flag in. I want to continue to be successful in my health journey, yeah. whatever that means, you know, size-wise. Sure. I'm, I want to continue to be successful, so they reach out. I get many contestants years later still sending me the scale on their final weigh-in day every year Wow. to show me that they're still in range, you know what I mean, of what yeah. that final weigh-in was. So, um, yeah, I, um, I enjoy helping people, and that show unleashed something inside of me that I don't think I even knew was there. Yeah, how has it changed your life, The Biggest Loser? Yeah, well, I've always been fit and healthy, mm-hmm. you know, pretty much my whole life until I came in this room with you and you <laughs> yeah. destroyed me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you broke me down. <laughs> it was um, pretty easy, by I the mean, way. I, it was not that hard. Look, I haven't opened the neck of wafers yet, so don't yeah, go overboard, okay? Right. okay? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, it changed me in a lot of ways. One is it made me realize that um, you can do it. You can pretty much do anything. Mm-hmm. That The human body is so powerful that if you're 500 pounds and you can just get out of this chair... That's an engine mm-hmm. that's underneath you that's pretty powerful. I try to lift 500 pounds. You can't. Mm-mm. But they do it every time they get out of a chair. Mm. So there is something powerful behind all that. Yeah. And I think the, what I got out of it the most, you know, probably is the understanding that no one is hungry enough to eat themselves to 400 pounds. 
that what you perceive as hunger pain is really emotional pain. Mm. And when I started in weight loss, people were only concerned with calories in versus calories out. Yeah. The deficit was your weight loss. Mm -hmm. And I really believe that I brought the tears way more than fat part of weight loss, which is the more you get to the core of what, why you're eating in the first place, the less work you actually have to do once you figure that out. Wow. Um, so sure. sure, you have a dandelion on your lawn, you go pick the one dandelion that's not going to do anything because another one's going to pop up here. Where's the root of the problem and where does that come from? Mm. And then when you identify that and figure it out, um, the rest is actually easier than you think. Wow. I was always the guy solving all my friends' problems in, yeah. in high school. Yeah. I was kind of my role. Right. Um, so this was really not that much different. And nobody ever listened to these people. So the fact that I said, hey, I'm not afraid of your fat. I don't care. You know, hug me. Mm -hmm. I'll get on the treadmill next to you. You know, I brought them in my house. My wife and I would make smoothies for them. Yeah. You know, once you include somebody in your life and you listen to them and hear what their issues are, I think it's much easier to help them unpack them one at a time. Well, it made for great television, but it clearly was something that's much bigger than TV. For me, it was. I, I think for millions of Americans who watched it, who felt it, and those who were on the show and experienced it and changed so many of their lives, uh, definitely something bigger than television. Uh, but I'm curious of all of the shows that you have created and produced, which uh, is your favorite or maybe you're most proud of? My Oh, there's a couple, okay. I guess. But my favorite show I ever did was The Biggest Bomb I Ever Had. Interesting. Which is, I guess, weird. Um, it was a show called Opportunity Knox. Yeah. And um, it was based on a game I played at the dinner table with my kids. Mm -hmm. It was like, what's mommy's favorite, you know, ice cream flavor? Yeah. What's daddy's, and they always would know, it's daddy's favorite beer, Root. That's right. Root beer. Root beer, yeah. Shout out to your son, Cooper, by the way, who helped me with some insights. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah, that kid. Yeah. Um, so, uh, wait, where were we? <laughs> well, Opportunity Knocks. Yes, Opportunity yes. Knocks. <clears throat> and I just thought, if you could blow that game up on steroids, mm -hmm. and then you bring a game show literally in someone's backyard, you invite the whole neighborhood there, and then you air out all of their sort of family drama, mm -hmm. you know, or family interest, in an interesting way. It was all storytelling. You look at the questions on that show. I mean, again, I'm so proud of it because so many years later, if I go back and I watch it, yeah. I, I realize how layered the questions were. Simple things like, you know, I was in your house and um, the dryer, it sounds like there's an alarm constantly going off. What's wrong with your dryer? Oh, well, it broke and I had to put a thing in the dryer. Really? So you'd love a new washer mm -hmm. and dryer then. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You wheel out a new washer and dryer and uh -huh. you're like... I'll bring this into your house right now. All you have to do is tell me, are there clothes in your dryer currently? <laughs> and you watch the panic on somebody's face yeah. as their whole neighborhood is standing out in front of them. Mm -hmm. Or you've had this, how long you've lived here? 20, 20 years. Wow. Mm -hmm. So you've had the same mailman for 20 years? Oh, yeah, yeah. Same mailman for 20 years. So it'd be easy for you to recognize the mailman, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it'd be totally easy. Walk out four mailmen. And she has to pick out her mailman mm -hmm. that she has seen every day for 20 years. And to watch them struggle with those answers. You know what when I mean? When the or stakes are so high. So right. high. Right. Yeah. My, yeah. Uh, my favorite one was a guy wanted a 1960-something Mustang convertible. Yeah. It was like his dream car. And we pulled it out in front of the whole neighborhood, pulled it up on the stage. And we said, you have a collection of those state quarters mm -hmm. with your son. Yeah, yeah. Collect I've been collecting them for months. Yeah. You're missing only one quarter in the entire collection. Yeah. Yeah, we are. We're missing one. If you can tell me what that one quarter is, I'll give you the keys to this car. And in that moment, like we all have, like that's why I say I'm a better host than a contestant. Yeah, yeah. Because in the moment when you have to find access that file, it's super hard to do. Mm -hmm. And his kid's in the front row and he's like, Dad, you, you know what it is. Right. And then I've got the quarter in my pocket and I pull the quarter out and I'm holding it. I'm like, can you see the reflection in my eyes? Like, uh -huh. it's working all those little moments and yeah. those little beats that I love. The show premiered in the financial crisis of 2008. 2008, yeah. And uh, like three weeks after the financial crisis, I think people were like, I don't care what your grandmother's favorite ice cream <laughs> flavor is. I just lost my house. Right. And right. Uh, CNN and CNBC were the most watched networks moment mm -hmm. by moment at that time. Um, so it was not a great uh, 
it was a timing issue, I believe. Well, that's what's so tough about what you do. You could have a show you believe in that you love. That's a great concept, but everything has to align. So much of it is things that are beyond your control, timing and, you know, yep. the right, right time, right place. Yep. Luckily for you, you've been in the right time and the right place many different times, but doesn't always work out. I love that idea for a show as well and wish that, you know, there was more. I wish it was still around, but, yeah. uh, Wrong time, I guess. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Are you, uh, here's a question, something that I struggle with, and I see other friends who've been successful struggle with too. You are hungry and motivated and driven, and you've always had that engine to create and do more and produce. Did you ever, have you ever felt like, ah, I've made it? Or are you still, <laughs> no. uh, yeah, and, but are you content? Are you <laughs> satisfied? you say that. I know. Makes me laugh. Are you content? Like... Are you satisfied? Is it ever enough? I mean, on one hand, the, bo- no. the benefit of it is that it keeps you motivated, keeps you going. It's about the journey, not the destination. But on the other hand, it's like, will I ever be fully satisfied with what uh, where I am? I always think every show I create or make is my last. Mm-hmm. That I'm never gonna. I don't know if it's a child actor in me who thinks like you're never gonna get another job again, <laughs> you know. And I always, I just had this conversation with my wife the other day. Like, I feel like I could have done so much more. Mm. She's like, "What are you talking about? Right. You know what I mean?" And I, and I don't know if that frame of thinking is how you get to where you are, yeah, or because mm-hmm. of that thing. Like, I don't know. It's the chicken and egg. Yeah, but I can say, and I am a minuscule ant on a planet of a Meryl Streep. Mm-hmm. But hearing her say, every movie I do, I think it's going to be the last time somebody will hire me, right. is very relatable yeah. to me where I am when yeah. I hear something like that. Like I do understand that feeling. And so I think that hunger is either in you or it's not. Mm-hmm. You're either, I think you're kind of made that way. Right. And um, I, I've stood around many producers in the business who have said things like, why do I have to keep proving myself? Mm-hmm. I, you know, and I've always thought that's just a weird statement. Yeah. Because I like to prove myself every single time I do something. Well, you've been doing it for a long time, like we said, from the very beginning, early on. And this is a segment we call Rewind, where we're going to take a look way back oh. at some of your career highlights. You mentioned a little bit earlier on that in the early 80s, uh, a way to be discovered back then was a show called Star Search that was a phenomenon. This is like before there was American Idol, there was Star Search, and there was Junior Star Search. And this is one of the ways that America was first introduced to J.D. Roth. Oof, this is going to be painful. G- yeah, buckle up. I'll, we'll bring out the cheesesteaks for you. Yeah. If you do. <laughs> individually, not as teams. So I, what was this experience like for you? I mean, I remember Ed McMahon having a drink, alcohol with ice cubes underneath the podium. And in every break, he'd pull the drink out. And that's perfect. I love that. So do you know who the girl is in this? No, who's the girl? Okay. That is Mickey Dolenz's daughter. That's Amy Dolenz. Oh, Mickey Dolenz from the Monkees. Yeah, yeah. That's his daughter. Crazy. Well, and there's another good cameo about to uh, appear with you here, the waiter in this scene. Oh, Tony Danza? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Come on. Of course, yeah. I mean, look at that 80s hair, baby. What an iconic. He was a, I mean, that was his peak. This is Who's the Boss was like the biggest show. He's huge. You did the act with Tony Danza. You had so many insane sort of 80s moments, young Hollywood moments. Is there a favorite story or memory that, that stands out from that time period in your life that you look back and was like, this was wild? Anthony Michael Hall was a really good friend of mine. Yeah. And in New York, if I had to, like an early call time or something like that, I'd stay at his house. Wow. And so like that was a cool yeah. you know, memory. And, and you know, I would always audition or get down to like the same four guys. And it was always like, you know, Michael, it was Christian Slater. It was, you know, and so I was in that group. Right. Of now I'm like the complete underachiever in the, <laughs> in the scope of things. But, you know, you think about back in those days, like those were some of the most fun parts. It wasn't like, yeah, that was 
th that was great. You know, yeah. being on Star Search was incredible. Yeah. And we were staying right on Sunset, right by, you know, the Hollywood sign. And it was like my first real taste of Hollywood. Sure. And that's when I knew for sure, no matter what it was going to take, that, you know, I was going to be coming out here. And then you started booking a lot of commercials. I mean, you actually hold the record for most yeah. national commercials booked by someone under the age of 18. Yeah. 22 commercials. Yeah. That's a lot, man. That's a lot. That's I knew wild. I was getting a lot of mail too, and I, yeah. I honest, I'm not even joking with you. I had no idea until I was applying to college mm. that the mail was checks, and the reason why is my, I said to my dad, I don't think I want to go to college. I think yeah. I'm just going to go to California and try to become a star. You know what yeah, I mean? Right. Like You're not realizing how stupid that sounds sure. from an 18 year old kid. And he said, "What if I told you that you could go to college on interest?" I'm like, interest, I'm like, I didn't even understand what he was talking about. Wow. But he had managed everything pretty well, and he said, you know, it won't cost you anything to go to college. And then I was like, oh, all right, then I might as well go. And I knew it was, a, you know, with a Jewish mother, you need to have a good excuse of the reason why you want to move 3,000 miles away. Yeah, yeah. So I was like, it's, it's for college. Yeah, yeah, sure. You know, so yeah. Well, you went to college because of this, because of this commercial right here, perhaps. Uh -huh. It helped get you there. So. Flip it, pump it, and you're ready for the paddle game challenge of your life. A boomer. <laughs> wow, I <laughs> look at this action sequence. <laughs> Kaboomers. So get ready for the portable pump and pedal game with the This looks like fun, Kaboomers. <laughs> Kaboomers from ideal. The fun only stops when you pretty do. good forehand. Yeah, look at that. Style. Wow. Okay, now I have a big, deep handful of the commercials that I've done. Yeah. And I don't even have that one. All right. We so do that, the deep dive here. And, and you brought me right back because I do remember the Kaboomer. Yeah, there's there's nice, no doubt nice. about it. Do you have it. a favorite commercial of all the commercials that you were in? I mean, 22 uh, of them before the age of 18. That's wild. I did. No, I did 22 when I was 11. I did wow. 150, maybe 100 and 200. I don't know. It was a Unreal. lot. That's unbelievable. It, was a lot. I, it wasn't even a question when a show would go to break, like yeah. if I was going to be in one, yeah. my family would bet on how many of the commercials in the break that I would be in. I think I just had that redheaded bowl cut thing working. and It um, worked. Bring yeah, back the bowl cut, JD. I think uh, I did a bunch of little race car ones. I did Star Wars commercials, McDonald's. But I think wow. I did a lot of video game commercials. Mm -hmm. And I was really good at spinning a basketball on my finger. Yeah. I could spin it forever without yeah. falling off. And so anytime they wanted something like that, I would walk in and it would be uh, it's a wrap. Taking candy Good skill from set yeah. right there. I remember in New York when I was a kid, if I would walk into an audition, I remember at times parents grabbing their kid and just leaving. leaving. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That, yeah. That's wild. <laughs> uh, that is wild. Well, uh, you had unparalleled success in the commercial game, but a real pinnacle in your career on camera was when you were a sophomore in college at USC. And I know you were in school, but you were kind of partly in school because mentally you wanted to be working. You wanted to keep acting. Yeah. You wanted to keep performing, hosting. And then this project came about. This uh -oh. is bad quality. This is the pilot episode. But I want you to tell us a little bit how this show and this pilot of Funhouse changed your life. Huh. This is the first time you ever came out. Oddly enough, just last year, I gave that sweater, yeah. after holding on to it for 35 years, to a fan. Really? Yeah, I mailed it to him. Wow. Um, yeah, Funhouse was life-changing. Yeah. I literally went from my dorm room at USC to the cover of Teen Beat in like a month. Oh. And the audition was only supposed to be 22 episodes. Mm -hmm. And after a couple of weeks on the air, it became the number one kid show in America, and they ordered 195 episodes. Wow. And that was life-changing. Yeah. You know, it went from, again, like a totally normal life to not being able to go anywhere and having to be taken out of the mall by security. And Wow. You know what I mean? It was, it was a upending, upside-down uh, moment in my life. And um, some of the best times you know, I've ever had, like the dream was you come out to Hollywood, you make it, you get a number one show, you buy a convertible, yeah. you know what I mean? Like 
it was all happening so fast. So fast. Um, yeah, I tried to stay on campus because all my friends were there. My whole social circle was yeah. there. But my call time was 6 a.m. Right. And my buddies and roommates were rolling in at 3 in the morning. You know what I mean? Yeah, so it just, yeah. it just it, didn't, it didn't work. Um, and I had promised my mom as soon as I didn't have a show on the air, I would go back and finish college. And I've had a show on the air every single year since 1988. So I, I think maybe part of that was just to make sure I didn't have to go back. Well, uh, hopefully next year is a good year for you. Otherwise, yeah, USC, right. that's you might it. have to get back re enrolled. Yeah. yeah, but uh, that is unparalleled. That, that's just uh, incredible success and streak and run that you've been on. You were born to do this. I'm pretty lucky. Yeah. I'm actually teaching now at USC Film School. Really? I just started this semester my first year. That's terrific. It's weird when they're like, Professor Roth. I'm like, it's JD. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It doesn't feel right. Right, right. <laughs> well, from Funhouse, over 195 episodes to many other shows that you went on to host. And one of them, you even got to uh, show off some of your basketball skills a little bit. Oh. So let's take a look oh. at this. <laughs> yeah. This is a show called oh, yeah. Double Up. Yeah. NBC Saturday morning. And look at this move here. Oh! <laughs> the reverse side. What height is that the, hoop at? That's some hop right there, man. Well, what height, what height is the hoop? 10 feet. That is not a 10 that's foot a hoop. 10 that foot, is not a 10 that foot That is a 10 foot hoop. hoop. No, we are getting... <laughs> We're going to verify that. Oh, that show was I, so fun. <laughs> I like the swag. This is like JD swag vibe here. That was it. Early 20 swag. Yeah. Yeah. Now that, was this, the, that was the energy back then. The show is a bit of a, as I watch this episode, a, a unique premise here. Like these young teen siblings like setting each right, other the, up on well, dates. Brother and a sister. The right. sister picked the brother's date. Yeah. The brother picked the sister's date. You know what's interesting is when they would fall, when they would get dumped. Yeah. A ramp would kind of drop, yeah. and they'd fall into these giant garbage cans. Yeah. As a little aside, I don't think I can get arrested for it now. <laughs> we rented a pickup truck, yeah. and we drove down an alley in Beverly Hills, and we picked up six garbage cans from, <laughs> stole them yeah. from people's houses, yeah. took the tops off, and those are the cans that the kids are falling on. You could have get, you had to steal garbage cans. We for stole the garbage wow, cans. Wow, all right. Yeah. Big and, revelations and actually, here. Actually, two, two other revelations from that show. Okay. One contestant on the show was Brittany Murphy. Oh, yeah. And one was Jennifer Love Hewitt. Wow. Interesting. I was going to ask you if you, from so many game shows that you've hosted over the years from, you know, the eighties and the nineties, have you ever run into contestants? Do people come up to you and say, I was a contestant on this show. Like, oh, does, yeah. that, does it happen all like, the time? Remember me? I was on yeah. Funhouse. I'm like, yeah, like we uh, did 400 episodes. Yeah. You wow. know what I mean? And it was 35 years ago. Right. Um, so no, but it does, it does happen a lot. It's still yeah. to this day, you know, more than once a week, someone will say, fun house, you know, they'll yeah. start screaming it out. And it's crazy to me that that many years later, which again, I'm on a scale this small. Imagine you're the guy from some big half hour sitcom sure. and that's the role. And so forever you're Chachi or you're, <laughs> you know, different strokes, whatever it is, yeah. you're stuck in that forever. moment in time forever. Yeah. And so I do have sympathy for like what that must feel like. Well, you you've know? done a great job of reinventing yourself, continuing to create, succeeding. You're known for many different things now. Funhouse being one of them, but yeah. that's, you yeah. know, not even the, uh, you know, the Funhouse was a, that. that was a really special, a really, spe cool, yeah, really, really cool. special. But I think one of the, the coolest experiences you probably ever had, or at least the one I'm most jealous of, is this. Back in 1993, oh, the yeah. NBA Celebrity Slam Dunk Contest. That's yes. Alfonso Ribeiro, Carlton. We got uh, Jaleel White, Urkel, Mario Lopez, Slater, yeah. and J.D. Roth from Funhouse. What was this experience like? Because this is like, for me, a basketball fan, a, a dream come true. Yeah, it was the All-Star game. Yeah. All-Star weekend. And um, what's amazing is if you look down at our feet. Yeah. Who's the only one that's wearing a pair of shoes that actually look used? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You Me. were actually like playing the yeah. those. Yeah. I was actually playing. These guys didn't play basketball. So <laughs> the trophy was five feet tall. Yeah. It was a, I wanted this trophy so bad. I can still remember seeing mm -hmm. it and going, I'm, I, I'm getting the trophy. Mm -hmm. This was right around when, um, Shaq was like ripping rims down yeah. and you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Right. The hoops would just fall down. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I thought we got, we got to put on a little bit of a show. Yeah. So they, they rolled out the eight foot hoop. And um, is that the eight foot hoop there? I think or is that... that's Julia White on the eight foot hoop. I, right. I mean, so... that camera angle makes it look like it was lower than that. But yeah. Yeah. So they rolled out the hoop. You got uh, 
each one of us got a dunk and then one was eliminated. Yeah. I made the first round. Second round was another elimination, another dunk. I think I pulled a kid out of the audience, if I remember right, put him in a chair. I yeah. jumped over the chair. Oh, man. Dunked the ball. Yeah. And then it got down to uh, me and Jaleel. And I'm like, I'm, I'm winning. I'm yes. getting the trophy. Yes. Like, it's you mine. You need this. You need that. You got to beat the guy. Yeah. Like, it's going to be simple. And I'm like, I'm just going to hang. It's, it was like, I'm just going to hang on this thing. I'm going to break it. Yeah. And then he's like, you're not going to be able to dunk. And <laughs> right, so right, right. I go up, I dunk, I yank this thing down. It's sideways, crooked. Yeah. You know what I mean? Now what's Jaleel going to do? Yeah. And so he dribbles the ball. He dribbles past that basket and dunks on a 10-foot hoop. Oh, and no. And took the trophy. Well, let's see this because he did. And I'm sorry to, to rub it in. Jaleel White, there is that trophy. Him and uh, Mayim Bialik presented it to him. Sorry, I know that stings. I don't even stings. remember Mayim being there, but that's hilarious. I, I know that stings there. but Look there, at that trophy. It's, it's the size of him, basically. Oh. Yeah. Oh, so I mean, he close. went on to grow, like, what? He's uh, well over six feet yeah, tall. Yeah, he's right? a good basketball I, player. Yeah, yeah right. Okay. But, I don't feel that bad. Oh, man. But that was one of the, I, I took that one pretty hard. Oh, that's a tough, tough runner up yeah, right I mean, you've there. been to many All Star games. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, as like it's, down on the court. In the action. I've never been in a celebrity slam dunk contest. That is like, <laughs> that is big time. That's something I'm going to strive to. I, I will say one in. of the greatest moments ever is when that picture became like the picture of the week. Yeah. Oh, I can't like everyone just rediscovered it. Yeah. They yeah. all found it. And of course the whole comment was like, who's the white guy? <laughs> you know, who is that guy? <laughs> right, 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 right. Oh man. I'm the only one not recognizable in that, in that uh, picture, but. Well, you've always loved the NBA. You've been a big basketball fan since back then, a basketball player as well. So I want to play a little fun My game. My kids are named after basketball players. To, the, uh, we've got Duncan, uh, du yeah, uh, yes. Uh, Cooper Jordan was my first. Yeah, okay. Because when I was a kid, I was a Sixer fan. Yeah. I'm in the kitchen with my little 12 inch television. The games are three hours delayed. Yeah. So my whole family's asleep, and I would sit in there and listen to 20,000 people, you know, in Englewood screaming right. "Coop" every time he shot the ball. It's like that'd be that'd be amazing for a first name for a kid. Yeah. And I remember in high school writing it in my notebook. Wow. With the number twenty next to it. Yep. Because that's what I wanted his number to be. Yeah. <laughs> and um and nobody named their kid Cooper. I mean now it seems common. Right. But twenty some odd years ago when he was born, that was like what you named your dog. Right. Right. You know what I mean? Cooper yeah, wasn't a first name. For sure. And then Duncan James. Oh wow. God. That's amazing. Yeah. My don't tell my wife. Okay, well, between the sandwich and the fact that they're she can't yeah, ever know you were on this episode. Yeah. Okay, well, yeah. I want to play a game back from 1993 when you did the dunk contest. Yeah. I have a pack of 93, 94 upper deck basketball oh. cards, and we're going to play something called Association Word Association. I'm going to pop open this pack. I've waited okay. what almost 30 years to open this bad wow. boy. We're going to open it, and the first thing that comes to your mind when you see the player, you just give me that one word answer. All right. Whatever okay. it is, so okay. just don't don't overthink it. People get stuck when they start overthinking things. Just in the moment, here it is. Here we go. It's not going to pull like a Rick Smiths or something like that. It Who? might be or the Duncan Dutchman. If you call your shot, that's impressive. But the first one is first word comes to mind: John Starks. Tough. Yes, he tough. was. He was tough. Those Knicks yeah. teams. Man. You didn't mess with John Starks. Uh 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 uh. All right, or this guy, Mark Jackson. Uh, first thing that comes to mind is knee surgery. Mm. I saw him walk uh, about three months ago, and I, it hurt. It hurt me to watch him walk. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. okay. All right. Uh, ooh, this is him early in his career, Robert Ori. Uh, Three-point shot. Yeah, big shot Bob. Seven yeah. rings, I think he has. Wild, wild. Did he get one for San Antonio as well? Yeah, the Rockets, the Spurs, yeah. the Lakers. Huh. I think he has seven rings. He had that one corner shot, right? Yeah. Yeah. To uh, win a big shot Bob. Yeah. Big shot Bob. This is a tough guy. Dale Davis. Not a fan. Oh, no? Why is that? I think he, would, he, he was a guy who looked for a fight. <laughs> okay, you know, was yeah, he in yeah, Indiana yeah. Jersey there? Is that in the, That's on, that on the Pacers, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He always looked for a fight to me. He was just the enforcer. Yeah, he definitely know? was. Yeah. Yeah, all right. Okay. How about Vinny Del Negro? The white the great white hope. <laughs> that you was know, you, for, JD. For That's guys you. like for guys like yeah. me, seeing a Vinny Del Negro who was like not the most athletic, right. not the most talented, not the most anything. Sure. You know what I mean? But there he was on the Spurs. Yeah. And in the moment of truth, he would get the ball. And it would always go in. And it was there. He's like the John Paxson of that era. You right. Know? 
Oh, this is a good one. Sean Kemp. The Rain Man. The Rain Man. There's only one. That I can still see that dunk where he goes to dunk and his left foot, back of his left foot is touching his head yeah. as the front foot is way, almost touching his nose right, when right. he dunks the ball. He could do things. Yep. In, it looked like he was getting ejected off the ground versus jumping. Yeah. And I don't think people forget how talented the guy was after he gained weight and had a lot of issues and sure. things like that. But in the moment, in his best playing days, he was one of the all-time sky. He was. He was. One of my favorites. Mitch Richmond. <laughs> I guess I'm trying to think of something to say about Mitch Richmond. Nah, he wasn't my favorite player. I think Mullins on that team was my favorite player mm-hmm. of that era. Um, Chris Mullins just had, again, a, a way about his game that was unstoppable. He almost yeah. played in slow motion. Yeah. But Rich, Mitch Richmond was a tough, tough player. He reminded me of like Vinnie Johnson. Yep. You know? Yep. Totally. Yeah. Uh, the microwave. Okay, this is a good one. Michael Jordan. The GOAT. I mean... Is he, though? Michael Jordan? I... You think MJ? Undoubtedly. I think people have a very short-term memory. If you don't remember, he's he's the Beatles. Yeah, yeah. He's... I mean, it's like watching the Mona Lisa being painted. Like, nobody understands what he did, not only for the game of basketball, Mm -hmm. but... You could say, oh, well, Steph changes the game and the shot and people are shooting from half court. Michael Jordan moved differently. Yeah. He walked differently. You knew he wasn't going to let you lose. Mm -hmm. You know, like he would drag you. He'd force you in. Now, of course, years later, we can look back and hear all the things about how tough he was. He wasn't nice. He wasn't this. He wasn't that. Which they all said the same stuff about Kobe. Right. Um, But Michael Jordan, they'll never be another one. Maybe the closest was Kobe. If you put them side by side and lay their video on top of each other, I know, it's wild. Kobe really kind of like the over the shoulder turn around and he walked like on me. And I think that was on purpose. Yeah. Where do you think LeBron will rank when it's all said and done? He's still going. He's still doing it. He may not reach as many titles as MJ, but he's going to yeah. hold every record. Yeah. I mean, LeBron is, come on. I know. He's, right? I think, I don't know. I'm kind of team LeBron, I think, because it's he's not done yet. I think there's a chance that you're he younger. could be the GOAT. You're younger. I am. He's the GOAT bit. of your era. Yeah. For yeah. sure. You right. know, I'm sure some people would say Wilt. Right. Or Wright was the GOAT of their era. Or sure. Russell. Or Right? Yeah. But for me... Jordan turned basketball in basketball players into rock stars. Yeah. It, it was never the same after that. You know what I mean? He, he was the first basketball player that ever needed security with their team. Yep. They'd walk into hotels and there'd be thousands of screaming fans. Like that never existed before Michael Jordan. Yeah. When he walked into arenas, it changed. And by the way, Michael Jordan would never take a night off for like an overload of minutes. No, that is true. And by the way, if he took a game off, it'd be a home game. Mm -hmm. Because he would never go to an away game where some dad like me was bringing my kid Mm-hmm. And that kid would be disappointed to not see Michael Jordan. And he always get, brought his A game too, because he yeah. knew there was people out there seeing him for the very first time. That they've yeah. traveled, you know, they've waited a year. They've traveled across the world for this moment. That experience. you always got Michael's best. I always you felt did. that. That's true. I had one interaction with Michael Jordan. Really, and it wasn't like the best interaction. You know oh, what yeah. I mean? And and it, but it didn't take away. The guy was pulled in so many directions. Yeah. Will there ever be another player pulled in that many? directions without the protection of so many people mm-hmm. which he started like mm-hmm. right you got too much of him right. and in a way it almost destroyed yeah. kind of his his legacy or who or how many games he could have played or sure. how many seasons it took away from it sure. whereas now because of that lebron can play for 20 years yeah yeah all right three cards left in this pack this is a pretty good pack we got clyde drexler yeah clyde the glide yeah yeah i mean the smoothness of his game is what mm-hmm. I loved about it. When he'd go in the lane, you know, some people like Jordan would just have so, like Westbrook, yep. like just went, there's so much energy. So intense, but Clyde yeah. just kind of like, he did just glide, did glide through the lane. Like a yeah. George Gervin, just smooth, oh, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. The finger roll. So back in the 90s, this player was my favorite player. Like I even have some stuff, you know, memorabilia here. I don't know. I just loved his game. I loved that Hornets team, Alonzo Mourning. Alonzo Mourning is brave, mm-hmm. I would say. He's tough. Yeah. And the one interaction I had with him was at an all-star game. We were staying in the same hotel as the players. Yeah. I had my little uh, nephew with me. He was about five. He had a Michael Jordan jersey on. And Alonzo Mourning walked through the lobby. 
And as you saw my little nephew, he walked over and you know, Alonzo Mourning was like 12 feet tall compared to this kid. Right. He leaned down, he said, hey kid, you got the wrong jersey on. <laughs> and so I thought like, okay, he's got a sense That's of humor. Cool. Yeah, right. Yeah, and, and uh, sadly I think his legacy was robbed, mm, you know, yeah. for medical reasons. Sure. Um, but he was, uh, he was a tough player down low. He was, I was a big fan of that. Those Hornets teams were so fun. Him, Larry Johnson, Muggsy Bogues, Muggsy, Curry, yeah, yeah. the best, so much fun. And the last player, Dennis Rodman, back in his Pistons era. Troubled, lost. Oh, man, did you ever, I mean, yeah. he's done a lot of stuff in Hollywood, a lot in reality TV. Never. Have you ever crossed paths with Dennis? Never crossed paths with no? him. No? No. Uh, That's surprising to me, just yeah. given just the worm being out here as long as uh, you. He's, uh, yeah, I think troubled. He's just had, a, I mean, you hear the stories, like even... He would just disappear from the Bulls, right? Mm-hmm. They tried to understand him. Yeah, you know, like I, that coach was the best at kind of like letting, giving people a room. Phil Jackson to, sure. to breathe, right? Um, but yeah, you, you heck of a career though. He channeled it into one thing. You got to give him credit. One of the best rebounders you know? ever. Yeah, yeah. Unbelievable. How he ended up in North Korea, I don't know, but that's uh, very Dennis Rodman. It's just kind of that's what he does, right? Yeah. That's what he does. Well, yeah. one thing that I do is I love to collect stuff. I love to collect cards. I love to collect T-shirts, jerseys, sneakers. My wife says I'm a hoarder. I say I'm a collector. <laughs> but JD Roth, this is called Cool Calm Collected. What do you like to collect? So I collect. I love to collect people that I love. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm very into people. Yeah. And so um, they're like trapped in your basement. They are. Well. Okay. Uh, all right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. But I tell them it's love. Yeah. Right. So right. it's okay. What a collection. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but I'd say as far as collection goes, um, a lot of the things I collect seemingly are too large to bring here. Mm. But one of the things I do collect that I think you'll like is I have gone to many NBA finals. Yeah. I think 11 in a row I went to wow. at one point. And um, the Associated Press, you know, they take a lot of pictures at yeah. the NBA Finals. Yeah. And they're in the paper. Mm-hmm. And so I made it a point with the guy I go with to, thankfully for him, he, he has a, a way to find these photos. Any photo that's been in the, pa- the local paper from the yeah. NBA Finals that we're in. Oh, this is amazing. We get a copy of. Yeah. And we blow that picture up. Wow. And I have them at home in my gym downstairs. That's so a, I, I brought a couple of you. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. How many do you have at home? I know you brought a couple. I but. have nine of the 11 that we've been to. Wow. Because the other two, we didn't end up in the paper. Wow. Oh, what you a got, shame. It has to be yeah. in the local paper. For, we'll put our research team on it. Know? We found yeah, the Kaboomers know. commercial, you know, right? Yeah. That was a good <laughs> right. One. That yeah. was a good one. Yeah. Okay. This one doesn't even look real. Okay. What? That does not look real. This is ridiculous. Yeah. So that was... Uh, that's in Cleveland. That's in Cleveland. I, right. Yeah, I know. I yeah. was at that game. Yeah. And Steph is just standing there. I didn't have there. as good a seats, though. He's just standing there stretching, and it almost looks I, like he's superimposed yeah. in the picture. That is a wild shot. That is a wild shot. What yeah. are you looking at on the guy's phone? I'm curious about there. He actually <laughs> took a picture because one of the guys that wanted to come with us yeah. didn't make it. So he oh, took wow. a picture with his feet on the floor and oh, just sent man. the guy a picture of his feet. Oh, man. I wish I think, we were friends back during these uh, I think I was Cavs at, World uh, NBA Finals. What the guy said afterwards. Wow. I, I just brought a couple. I brought one that I know you'll like, but I'll show you this one first. Okay. I think this one's a good one. Oh, this. So, again, it looks like we're superimposed because we're the only ones that refuse to wear the You're shirt. You're not wearing the shirt, right? Uh, but, I mean, you wow, look what at, a shot. They carried the guy in the front row, the older guy in the front row, they carried him out in a stretcher. Um, Dwayne Wade fell on his head after this moment. Yeah, yeah, and cut his head open. No, and yeah, he ended up getting carried out. And if you look, one of the the boy, the little boy, the kid, in the, front the row boy, has no shoes on. He was barefoot. Oh yeah, right behind. You know, like it could have been so much worse. Um, but we were standing there, couldn't believe. I mean, you look how high up, wow. right? I mean, look at that. Because you got uh, kids off the ground. Yeah. And then Wade's on top. He's got to be 10, 12 feet in the air. Wow. And this just was, fell right into This was a great series. The Mavs won the series. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that was what a good a one. photo. And then the next one and I good brought, seats that you're getting to the finals. The next one I brought, <laughs> yeah. this one's for you. All right. This is in Cleveland. This is in Cleveland. Oh, man. I know other people in this photo, by the way. You do? I do. I knew some. <laughs> I, know, I know like four other people who are in this photo. Wow. Look at the... 
So a lot of people will come into my gym, they look at the pictures like, oh, wow, you really like basketball. And I'm like, look a little closer. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of times they don't even notice. Wow, that's a beautiful shot, too. Yeah. These are amazing. Yeah, I mean, they're great shots because they're... Those are incredible. They're in the paper. You win. Good collection right so, there. I mean, it's, yeah. That's amazing. I love that. I actually, in my office upstairs, I'll show you, uh, during the Cavs championship in 2016, the issue of Sports Illustrated that came out when they won... I got like 10 copies of it, and there's a centerfold photo of LeBron dunking an alley-oop, and you can see me in it. And I track down the photographer, and I have it blown up I in my office. It. The same thing. Yeah, I yeah. want to see it. Yeah, those I'm moments. Not, a little yeah. harder to spot me, as I'm not like you know <laughs> in Steph Curry's undercarriage, exactly. But yeah, yeah. But, but you're still, in it. I, but I'm in it. You're I'm in, in it. the shot. I'm in the shot. That's really cool. Thank you for bringing that, JD. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. Well... This has been a blast, and I really appreciate you being here. Our final thing that we like to do is a little segment called Pay Homage, where we've taken a trip down memory lane, talked a lot about your success, but I want to know who you would like to pay homage to who helped pave the way for your success over these years. Could be a friend, a family member, maybe a mentor, maybe it's someone you've never even met before, but you've looked up to them and admired them from afar, and they've inspired you. J.D. Roth, who do you want to pay homage to? That's really putting me on the spot. But that's what this whole it's thing's like about. A, it's a very soft moment. Yeah. When you're paying homage to somebody. I know. It's a very soft moment. I, I would say that my manager, when I was 11 years old, who, I, who kind of discovered me, mm. her name is Shirley Grant, and uh, she passed away at 99 years old last year. Wow. And I was still in touch with her regularly. Yeah. Um, I loved her. She was yeah. like a second mom to me. And she's the one that brought me out here to be on Star Search. Mm. And she stayed with me in Hollywood week after week. Yeah. You know, you'd win, you'd stay for a week. And she stayed here and she brought me to all the studios and she made all these introductions to me. And she was, she believed in me in a way that, you know, it's one thing for your mom or your dad to believe in you, you know. And it's another thing when someone outside your family has such belief in you. Yeah. And she had such belief in me and she made me believe I could do anything. And, uh, and I always remembered that. Um, she was like, just a really, really special lady. Wow. Well, that's yeah. beautiful. That's great. And uh, uh, it's great to take a moment to reflect and remember her and pay homage to her. I want to pay homage to a mutual friend that we had, Larry Barron, who uh, oh, unfortunately passed yeah, away. But so he uh, he's the one who first connected the two of us. And oh, that's um, right. That's how I first met you. Such a sweet him. human. He was Larry. a great man, a great man, a television producer, yeah. very successful, produced a lot of uh, reality and game shows. And he brought us together. And uh, I want to pay homage to him and also to you for all the success that you've had throughout your career, but how you always, uh, it hasn't been about the material things. Those are a byproduct, like you said. It's about changing people's lives. And you've done that both from afar and on a one-on-one -on -one basis, mentoring people like myself. I appreciate that. And Homage, the t-shirt company that I collect and have a lot of amazing, super soft shirts, they want to pay homage to you too with your very own custom there you go the runner-up 1993 celebrity slam dunk contest that is for you dude that's fantastic along with that is so great your very own in the zone trading card oh. only five of these were printed jd roth trading card we're going to have you autograph them one is for you one is for our wall of fame and three oh. are going to be made available to our fans and followers on social media thank you guys for following and supporting us we'll let you know how you can win one of these autographed jd roth trading thank you cards. and i, I want to say something to you now okay if i get that chance you do that is scary. <laughs> uh, okay, I want to say something to you. Yeah. yeah. You know, there's many people that I've been introduced to, not mm. just from the Larry Barons of the world, but from sure. a lot of people. And there's very few people that I can kind of look into their eye and see myself in. Mm. And you were one of those people. And so, you know, I, I expect amazing things are going to happen for you. And um, I, I, to have a front row seat, to be able to watch and say, yeah, man, I remember having lunch with that guy. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I knew, I knew before he knew. And so mm -hmm. I say, keep, keep doing what you're doing. Thank and you. uh, I will definitely be watching. And, I, and, I'm, and I'm super proud to be like part of the relationship um, with you and to be able to see where you're headed. Thanks, JD. That really means a lot. Now let's eat those gym steaks. Yeah. Cheers to the Virgil's root beer. And <laughs> this thanks, has been awesome, man. Thanks for getting in the zone with <laughs> yeah, me. You got it. All right. <laughs>